Hello, everybody. It is Monday morning at 8 a.m. local, and I am your host, Jamie Lingsco, and I am joined today by the amazing Gigi Graham, who is one of my favorite people in the world and also my partner in crime in, in many things, including uh, working on Chaotic Good. So, so excited to have her join me today to co-host. Um, and in just a few moments, we're gonna start a little bit early on our guest segment today, but we are joined by the amazing Lex Roman. So I'm just sounded, I'm surrounded by amazing women today uh, and very excited to have you all here. And uh, this is Community End. And we are talking today about growth marketing, uh, what it takes to grow your community. And yeah, we'll, we'll hear more on that from Lex. But first, Gigi, how was your weekend? My weekend was great. Uh, also, it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, I got to watch part of Fleet Week, so that was a really exciting time in San Francisco. I'm going to pause you. You're a little bit crackly. I'm not sure if it's your headset. Is this better? Much better. Hello. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wonderful. I was saying it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And um, my weekend was spent watching part of the Fleet Week show in San Francisco, so it was really exciting. Nice. And you guys had good weather this week. Uh, I just came back from CMX Summit, and I also got to drop into FounderCon for Techstars, which was a whole experience in itself. <laughs> Gigi and I went to this interesting after-party networking event thing that really made me feel old. <laughs> I'll share some pictures later, but uh, basically it was a very house party vibe. And I was like, oh, this is okay. This is why sometimes founders get an interesting rep in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Which, I mean, Gigi went with me, uh, but you all... Uh, might be interested to see the pictures later. Anyway, um, let's see. What else? What else? Well, it was super great to see everybody at CMX last week. Uh, really interesting presentations this year. Loved the keynote speaker. Um, she was amazing. She's over at Salesforce. Her name's Leah. And she just really got me thinking about what it takes to build your business, even though she was speaking in a community context, which is a perfect tie into our conversation today. But, um, you know, all the struggles that we go through as an industry, the economy, all the things that we're seeing layoffs. And I know we talk about this almost every week, but really thinking about uh, a couple of things that stood out to me. She said, when you're, when you're going through a valley, don't set up camp. And I've been thinking about that so much since then, because I really feel like for Chaotic Good, you know, we're going through this build phase right now, but I can see that we are on the uphill slope now towards the peak, as opposed to feeling like I'm waiting in this valley and trying to figure out how to make this go. So yeah, it was, it was a good time. I was glad to go. Um, I think that's it for, for the, the starting topics for today. Uh, I know there's a lot of less pleasant things happening 
in the world right now. Uh, and so I know a lot of people are struggling with those, but I want to keep us a little bit lighter today and we will focus on our conversation with Lex. So happy Indigenous Peoples Day, firstly, and uh, let's go ahead and bring Lex onto the stage. Lex is a brilliant growth marketer. She is the leader of the Growth Trackers community, and she is the host of the uh, Low Energy Leads podcast, which has become one of my favorite shows to listen to because it just it speaks to my soul. So let's welcome Lex to the stage. Hi. Good morning, Hello. everyone. Thank you for Hello. those kind words, Jamie. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. I I know we met just a little while ago and we had a, a brief initial conversation and that was one so inspirational for me just to chat about what we're trying to do at Chaotic Good and hear from you. And uh, so I'm hoping we can start by if you can give the audience a little bit of your background and just how did you get into building this amazing business that you are doing to really lift up other people who want to start their businesses? Yeah. So my background is in Silicon Valley. So I used to work with a lot of startups and growth stage companies, helping them find customers, keep customers, charge customers more money. <laughs> um so I worked on the product-led side, right? I was a designer and I did design-led growth for many years. And when I started my first business, I went off and did growth consulting for tech companies. And I, I spun up growth teams on behalf of companies who were newly taking on growth. Um, companies that had been sort of like building features, they had had a lot of success maybe early on, but then they were hitting a wall with one of their metrics. And they were like, ooh, now we need to focus on growth. So I started leading those teams and sort of, building those capabilities within those teams. But in 2020 and 2021, I really wanted to shift away from tech for a variety of reasons. And I thought coming out of the pandemic, small business owners would be more inclined to work on online growth because they had just learned that they couldn't, like, especially brick and mortar businesses, they couldn't just sort of like be a business and like people would come to them. They needed to get savvier about online growth. And so I shifted my focus to brick and mortar. I quickly learned that that wasn't going to, they weren't as interested in growth as I thought they were. Um, the restaurant business makes so much more sense to me now. Like I was like, why are all these restaurants closing? And I was like, now I know why. Um, so I, now I work with online business owners who don't have a storefront. Um, small business owners, usually service-based businesses, creatives, consultants, and coaches. And I help them get seen online. And I help them do that mostly without the aid of big tech companies. I think a lot of people feel like obliged to work with social media or with Google search. And those strategies can be really high energy. And as my podcast name suggests, I like for people to not spend extra energy when they don't have to. So we work with a lot of relational strategies. And what's cool about growth, what's different about growth marketing versus marketing of the past is that a lot of growth comes from within within your business. And so that can, you know, you can sort of like take your foot off the gas of the marketing, the marketing car. And I love that. Um, and so I love working with business owners in that way. Now you mentioned that a lot of growth comes from within your business. Can you expand on that a little bit? And I mean, are we talking referrals or, or what do you mean by that? Yeah. Referrals is certainly one way. So um, when we think about a business that is growing, 
a lot of what's happening is that there are viral mechanisms happening inside that business. So when we, we, when I talk to other business owners, they're like, Oh, a lot of my business is word of mouth. And, and to me, it's like, when you say that your business is word of mouth, it's like me being like, Jamie, what did you eat for lunch yesterday? And you saying food, it's like (laughs) word of mouth is actually a really complex system of relationships that you have built and channels that people are working in. And so when you think about when you joined uh, Facebook or Instagram for the first time and they said, connect with your friends, invite your friends, that is a referral mechanism, right? But it also turns into a virality mechanism because now you have your friends there, you're stickier on that platform, you're sharing stuff with them, you're bringing them in, they're becoming new users. That's a growth mechanism. So referrals, yes. But I think with service providers, a lot of times they're like, well, I can't control referrals. But actually you can. There's many ways to drive referrals. There's also other things that you can do that create, like, I call it virality. Still haven't landed on a better term for that. But people who aren't even your clients spreading the word about your business, right? So this is actually an example of a virality mechanism, Jamie, because you and I have have now started to have a relationship and you were like, let me offer you this platform, Lex, right? This is a virality mechanism that you have offered me to grow my business that I didn't have to initiate. I love that. I love that. And I think that's why uh, what you, your whole philosophy on low energy mechanisms and and what's become a, a tagline for you in your podcast, which is, uh, you'll have to correct me on the phrasing, but basically, you know, do the things that uh, are low energy until you know what the return is going to be on them. Right. So what's the phrasing? It sounds better when you say it. Um, keep your energy low until you know, the value will be high. Yes. And I love that because for community folks, a lot of us are trying to manage these large communities as essentially a business of one, right? They're a team of one in many cases. And there is a lot of expectation from the business that, you're going to grow exponentially and have all these, you know, amazing results. Uh, but we're not going to give you any more headcount, and you have to use the tools you already have. Like, figure it out, right? So when I listen to your podcast, I think about it often in those terms, not only as a business owner, but also as a community builder. How do I uh, really think through and identify the mechanisms that work for my audience and for my community? And so, you know, talk to me a little bit about, I, I, I loved your uh, episode where you were talking about the discovery process and kind of how you identified some of those things. What's some, you know, advice that you might have for community builders that they can take from what you've learned in helping people grow their businesses to also get better growth without trying to add a bunch of resources and, and energy into their programs. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest mistakes people make in growth is starting at the top of their funnel, right? So with a community, it's like trying to drive new members in. But the reality is that you have to make sure that you don't have any gaps in your community already, right? That you want to make sure that right. everyone's having the best experience they can have, getting the result that they are promised in whatever community promise you're making. And that you're like squeezing as much referral virality juice out of people as you can. Not in a, not in a like exhausting way, right? You're not there to like uh, treat every person as a transaction, but we often leave that part on the table. We're like, okay, well they're in, we're done with those people. We're trying to bring more people in. Right. And so 
what I like to do in the episode that you're referencing is uh, an episode I did, I think about, you know, what to do when your marketing goes wrong. It's kind of like, right. if you have a gap, what do you do? And so the first thing that I would do is a growth model is to figure out like, how is this thing growing? How are, what's the journey that people are going on? And I like to do it as a loop, which comes from Brian Balfour's growth loops model, if you're familiar with him. Um, and so we think about, you know, not just how are people learning about us and getting in here, but also what is the experience like? And then how does that lead to them bringing more people in? And those are those two areas, you know, people leave on the table quite a bit. That's why product-led growth started to become a thing. And they were like, oh, it's not just marketing. We actually need to have a good experience. And then people need mechanisms to bring in friends and partners, et cetera. So I would start with a growth model. Um, and I have an, I have one on my website if anyone wants to grab it. Um, and you can use <laughs> it. I'm actually going to do... shameless plug here. So yeah. yes, please go out I to the a... website and we'll drop, uh, we'll drop links for everybody. <laughs> I'm going to do a live stream actually on Friday about how to do the growth model because it is like one of my favorite ways to sort of level set on, okay, where are we today? And like, what, you can just visualize so clearly, oh, this is what's missing for us. Yeah. When you do that, you can then see like, this is the area that we are going to test, right? It's like, oh, it's member onboarding or, oh, it's actually member offboarding. Just because someone's leaving doesn't mean that they didn't have a great experience, right? And right. that they can't be of value to you in some way. Um, and so, you know, looking at that, finding those gaps and then defining some experiments around them. Okay. This, we now have clarity that this is the gap. So what do we think is going on here and what do we want to try? And there's two ways to go about that. One is to talk to your members, right? To talk to people and get a sense of, are there some patterns here that we could be addressing? And the other thing is to run experiments and to see like, how do they perform? If we do this, does this behavior happen? If we do this, can we switch this metric? Um, and I love that. I love that process of running rapid experiments. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so intentional and I think that's becoming a a theme for me certainly is you know, let's talk about intentionality with the community. So many of us go out and we just like, okay, we're going to put a platform up. And then, you know, the, if you build it, it, they will come kind of mindset. And like you said, it's not, it doesn't work that way anymore, especially without a brick and mortar or even a virtual landing space as people are going to more um, multi-purpose platforms, we'll say to to access a lot of the things that they might have previously gone to individual vendor pages for or individual service provider pages for now they're going to these aggregators like LinkedIn like TikTok like YouTube like Reddit like you know depending on your audience so i think the intentionality is so smart to think about okay for every stage of this process every stage of this journey let's make sure we know what's going on and that we're driving the results that we want to see there. Yeah. Gigi, were you going to add something? Oh, it reminded me of um, at one point in life, I was a manager at Trader Joe's. And when I got the crew members input, they were much more engaged with whatever project it was that we were working on. Often it was changing products where it was in the store and why would we make that change? And just having that simple question of, but what would you do? Um, made a huge impact on the outcomes that we got. Yeah. Right. Because we come in with so many assumptions, right? And Lex, I know in your tech world work, you were probably doing a lot of user research and a lot of like 
like you said, experimentation and analysis of how those mechanisms came through. Yeah. Talking to customers is probably the fastest expediter of growth. It's it's something that I did a lot on growth projects because we can sit here and guess all day, like, why aren't people getting past this page or why are they leaving at this part of the flow? But it's like, if we talk to them, we're just going to learn. We're going to get some clues to that, right? It's like you sort of become a detective and it's like, okay, there's a little bit of evidence that maybe it's this. So let's try that. Um, otherwise, you're just sort of like shooting darts at a, at a wall and hoping that one of them sticks. And it's like, you know, for small businesses, for larger businesses, for venture backed companies, they can afford to do that for a long time. For smaller businesses that are less data rich, they can't afford to do that. And so, and if you're in a, you know, if you're in a low data environment, like even if you're in a bigger company that has a lot of data, but for whatever reason, your team or your community doesn't have access to that. Yeah. Then you're going to need to talk to people because you're going to get that info just a lot faster and clearer. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the first things I do when I go into a new client is I say, okay, what do you know right now about your client? When's the last time you talked to them? And maybe the first thing we should do is run a survey and do some interviews. Like, I feel like we should baseline at least, right? Yeah. Um, it's hard. People hate talking to each other. It's like a it's a big thing. Like I, it's, it's, we say it all the time, right? Like anybody who has a UX background is always like, talk to your users. Right. But it's like, people really struggle to do it. It's, it's really is like something that you have to actively overcome in your business. And then Lex, how, um, how often would you say you should check in with users? I know it probably depends, but are there guidelines? I, th- I do think it depends. I think it depends on your role. I think it depends on the kind of business that you have. Um, but I guess my guideline would be like every week, like if you're in, if you, if your job is to serve people, like staying in contact with those people every week, and that can mean different things. So when I, when I worked in growth for, for bigger companies, that was things like answering support tickets. Like I used to go in and voluntarily answer support tickets, even though I didn't work on the customer support team, just to to hear from those people, right? Like, what are these people mad about? And then I would write down all the post-its and I'd be like, okay, this person thinks this, this person thinks this, I'd just tally it up, right? Um, It can mean things like going to social media and hearing what people are saying about you. Like, especially if you work for a bigger company where that's a thing, right? What do they call that? Like social listening Listening. or something? Yeah. Yeah. So you could go do that, right? That's a way to hear from your customers. Like I left a review from a rest for a restaurant the other day and I expected to hear from them because I left them a pretty bad review. But it's like I don't even think they're reading those. And that's just like public information, right? Yeah. Um, so you could do stuff like that. You can obviously reach out to people, you can do intercepts on your website. If you're like, if you're like, why are people not coming through on the homepage? You could try to intercept them there. You could write people who have left. How, you know, what happened? How did this go? So, you know, I would aim for every week, but it kind of depends, I think, on the size of your team and and also on your goals. That's fair. That's fair. Good question, Gigi. Um, So tell us a little bit about Growth Trackers. What is the Growth Trackers community? Why did you start it? We'll go from there. Yeah. So when I was going to, to brick and mortar businesses, I went door to door in LA to brick and mortar businesses. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this like full service digital marketing firm and I have all, you know, these offers and I can help you grow your business online. And I went to a lot of different businesses that had what I thought was sort of like a pretty behind the times, like digital marketing presence. And I was like, you have so much opportunity, you know, 
And I had this coffee shop owner like way up in the valley. I don't know if you guys know the valley very well, but it was like way out there in the valley in uh, in LA. And I was like, you're in this like super remote location. You are one of a kind coffee shop. Like you need online marketing, right? And this woman, the manager of the store, she stares back at me and she just goes, nothing is cheaper than me doing it myself. And I was like, it was like this light bulb moment where I was like, Lex, you've been trying to sell to the wrong customer and you have like fully forgotten your growth playbook. And what are you doing, right? Like, why aren't you running smaller experiments? Why are you trying to sell people who don't, who like aren't buy ready, right? They're not problem aware. They're not interested in solving this problem. So I went back home and I set up an experiment board in my office at that time. And it was like channels, audiences, message, pricing. And I was like, okay, like generate some experiments. And I did that and I got my business back on track and I pivoted to a different audience and I started to be able to sell. And then I was like, I wish I had had a peer community that could run experiments with me, right? People that I could like get some support from because it's really hard when you're like slogging through stuff that's not working to do that by yourself. And so I was like, I wish this existed. I'm going to create it. And that's how growth trackers came about. I was like, I need an experimentation home. All the experimentation homes that I was aware of were for tech. They were all for software companies. It's a very different level of resources. It's a very different approach. Those people are doing things like A-B testing. They're using like sophisticated data infrastructure. Again, none of that stuff that we're using at this scale, right? Like I just started recommending people use website analytics again. Like it's just like, (laughs) because plausible and fathom came, you know, we started to get tools that were like affordable for small business owners, but you know, someone, someone the other day was like, oh, you know, you should hook up Funalytics. Funalytics is 200 bucks a month as a small business owner. That's just like not worth my time, like and my money to do that. And so I was like, yeah, no, like we're going to work in sort of a low data environment. We're going to work off of things like leads and sales rather than like, you know, this complex picture of pathways and stuff that you might look at at a tech company. So we need people that understand this context so we can talk more about evidence building instead of A-B testing. And we can talk about experiments that aren't like, you know, pretending to be science, but really are like an indicator, a signal right? So we're having a conversation, we're sending an email, we're sending 10 emails, maybe we're getting three back, we're calling that a signal, right? So that's where Growth Hackers came from. And we've been running for a little over a year. And I've had over 40 companies go through that. It's usually small businesses that are like one to three owners. Um, And I'm starting to work with more agencies, like agencies that are trying to crack their BD. I think it's becoming a as you sort of alluded to, Jamie, I think the internet is becoming, you have to be more and more sophisticated, even just to do the things that you maybe have done for years. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Was there anything about that journey that other than the the coffee shop moment, was there anything about that journey that has been surprising for you as far as like attitudes that some of these people have held or beliefs that they've held that you've helped them to kind of overcome that that were mental blockers for them on achieving their their growth journey. And I asked that a little bit selfishly because honestly, I went through that moment too where Gigi is actually the one who was like, okay, but let's talk ICP and let's talk, you know, what who's your audience? Where are you meeting them? And like all the things you already know. And I'm like, I know taking my own advice sucks. <laughs> I just yeah. do the thing. Easier to tell someone 
Oh, you muted yourself. Easier to do, easier to tell someone else what to do than to take your own advice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, that's for sure. Um, which is why I also have a lot of marketers and growth trainers because it's like, it's just hard for us to do these things for ourselves. Um, well, so, I mean, the biggest thing for me is like, I just assumed small business after like those experiences door to door, I was like, do small business owners care about growth? And learning that a lot of them do, I guess, was like a mental shift for me, which is good because I've leaned more into that. Um, I mean, probably the biggest thing is that a lot of business owners feel pressure to do social media. And so one of the first things that growth trackers often do is sort of set it aside a bit, like if it hasn't been working for them. I do have a couple growth trackers for whom they love social media and it's paying off for them. Um, But I have many who are tired of it. And so... The, you know, and they've been getting, you know, told that like, they're just not doing it good enough or whatever. And it's like, t- to me, like a strong play for marketing is not just like my audience is here and I can get results here, but also like, I enjoy the game of learning it. Yeah. And with social media, it is a real game that you have to learn. And it's going to take time and experiments to be like, okay, is it this topic or that topic? Is it live videos or reels? Is it you know, LinkedIn newsletter or collaborative articles. And it's like, if you find that draining, you're not going to do it. You're not going to be good at it. And so like, let's not bother with that. Let's do something else. Right. However, if you find that super fun, as I have some members who do, then great. Then that's your thing. So that's where experimentation comes in. Cause it's like, oh, it's not just like, where's people will say this. I hear social media managers say it drives me nuts. Well, which channel is your audience on? These are global billion people platforms. Like your audience is on any of these channels, right? Like you can find <laughs> 80 year olds on TikTok. Like the idea that your audience is out there is not true, but you can find lower energy strategies elsewhere. So if you're targeting 80 year olds, you could go to a nursing home and have a room full of 80 year olds. Or you can go to TikTok and be like, where are the 80-year-olds, right? So um, I think it's like there's a lot of like mindsets that people get into where they're like, I have to do this. I have to do that. Um, and I really want to like encourage people to explore because they don't have to do anything. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's so important too, right? Because as a small business owner, you have all the things on your plate, right? And so I can only put aside so much time for looking for leads or may, or demand gen, you know, or all the things. Um, Gigi, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, and to your point about, okay, if you even nail down what type of social media do you like, the second you get into it, it has already changed. And so you're constantly learning. And there's a reason people do this for their full-time jobs, um, yeah. so it's, it's hard to get in a mindset of, oh, Facebook or meta is the best thing ever. Well, first of all, they changed their name and everybody's moving to other platforms. Well, not everyone, but many are moving to other platforms. So it's a lot yeah. of extra work and the opposite of what you're trying to get people to do. Yeah, it is. It's a constant moving target. And so, and the internet is too, right? You have to be able to learn, uh, to survive. And so you have to find that fun. I think you have to find joy in that. And so if you're like, no, this is grueling. I hate making videos for YouTube. Then it's like, well, yeah, then don't pick that as the, the lane that you're operating in. Uh-huh. If editing is not your thing, steer clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, change and tech and platforms, you know, I, I had a conversation recently with somebody about, well, how do we talk to Gen Z and, you know, does, this is a big topic in the community world right now, right? Like 
our kids don't do forums. They they want to be on TikTok. They want to be on Snapchat. And those are the places that they hang out. And how do we as community builders who have for so many years believed that owning the platform is the best way, which has major benefits, but not if your people don't show up. Um, have you seen yet, because I, I suspect you will at some point if you haven't already, but have you seen yet that um, any of the business owners that you're working with are struggling with the changing platforms and the changing preferences as Gen Zers start to become more of that buyer persona as opposed to just being the passive kid consumer? You know, that's an interesting question because when I worked in Silicon Valley, it was like millennials were the thing. And I had so many clients that were like, they were like old dudes and they'd be like, we're targeting millennials. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> um, my clients don't tend to work with people that are younger than them in like a substantial, like, I don't know anybody because, because most of my clients are service providers, right? So most of them are B2B. So, you know, there are businesses that are owned by Gen Z, but I, I wouldn't say it's like an overwhelming part of what my clients are dealing with right now. Like, I'm sure that it will be for some of them. Um, but I also think there's a big difference in like when you're a service provider, like if you're a web designer or a copywriter and you're working with one business owner, that's a very different interaction than sort of what you're talking about, Jamie, in terms of like, how do we tap into like a whole community of people in this age group? I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, I don't, I don't have like any, like, I don't have any answers to this because it's not something that's like super on my radar. It's, it's honestly not something that is, um, a challenge that any of my clients are currently facing to my knowledge. Um, interestingly, I think we have another problem, which is like the aging, like, you know, I have a lot of folks who have people that are older that they're working with who are just like, you know, not as aware of how much things cost on the internet, like sort of the devaluing <laughs> of like, you know, internet services and, and like, you know, audio engineering and things like brand design and things like that. It's kind of like, oh, you know, if it's digital, it's like not as valuable as something that is physical. Like, I think that attitude is still really hard for people. Um, That's really interesting because, I mean, I I remember having this same mind shift, you know, years ago when it was like, well, we're not printing it, so it's free, right? Like, it, it we'll just store it online. It's fine. And then you really realize the overall cost of data centers, both, you know, economically, environmentally, et cetera. Um, yeah. And, and it's not free, right? It, yeah. I mean, when I started working with small business owners, I worked with a lot of like retirees who were like just starting a business in their retirement, or they were like, you know, doing their like last career pass um, by starting their own business. It was like the, sort of like the end of their career. They were like, okay, I'm going to just start this business and do this for the rest until I retire. And, you know, two things happen in that space. One is like, they really underestimate how much it costs to start an online business. Like they really underestimate how much web design costs, how much copywriting costs, how much marketing costs. And they just don't have the money for that stuff. Um, because they think that they can just spend like a couple hundred dollars and like have everything in place. And the reality is all these people are now highly in demand with six, six figure salaries. And so it's like, yeah, you're not going to get a logo for 400 bucks unless you just get some like kid online to make it for you. And then it's going to suck. And like, why bother? 
you know, at that point I would just be like, no, don't have a logo. Um, and the other thing that happens is they get swindled into buying things that they don't need. Right. So I used to have clients that would come in and I'm like, you know, they're paying for like a server to run a Squarespace website, which doesn't require a server because Squarespace hosts the website for you. So it's like, yeah, you got scammed a bit on these things. And so, and then now we're in a space, which I think business owners of all ages are facing, which is that there's a lack of trust in other online business owners because they think they're going to get scammed or like just, you know, oversold on what they're getting. And so people are like, Ooh, I don't know if I like want to buy that copywriting course because maybe it's like not that good because I've, you know, I'm now like getting more savvy about what's out there. And also there's an increasing amount of free information. So why would I pay for a course when I have YouTube or TikTok, you know? That's really interesting. Um, I, have done a lot of work on tool specific education and how to integrate that into community and kind of function as a driver of SEO and all of the things. Right. But you're right. I mean, if you can get the information for free, I think people really need to be thinking about what is the special value add that they're bringing to it that makes them particularly legitimate as a source or that makes that for whatever reason, more valuable than the free resource, right? So I think uh, from a community perspective, a lot of it, what I've found is, yeah, you can find a lot of information on Reddit, but if you want to talk to the engineers who are actually building the product or supporting the product, or uh, you want to talk to, you know, DevRel people who have built the sample app or whatever, right? I've done a lot of developer community work. Um <laughs> you know, then you're going to go to the official space, right? And that then might lead people to your owned platform, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that there are a lot of people who, for social, that's just a lot more work than it's worth for them, or that's just, it does not drive joy, right? It doesn't, doesn't bring them joy. So <laughs> thank um, you for your service. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what, what are you finding are the alternatives that are working well for them? And, you know, and then maybe we can think through kind of how that might work for somebody who is just working on the community building side of a business. One of the things that works really well, um, that is for many of us more joyful, not everyone that it really does depend on your personality. Um, I work with a lot of introverts and folks with social anxiety and things like that. So it depends on this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But partnering and audience sharing. So the idea of like cross collaborations, like I've built an audience on this, you've built an audience on that. There's maybe a lot of like overlap, but we serve our audience in different ways. So how can we bring our audiences together? And that can look, you know, in different ways. Like you can do a webinar together. You could do a newsletter swap. You can do a podcast swap. You could do an interview on each other's blogs. Uh, you could bring someone in to guest speak to your group, right? Like guest speaking into the communities, for example, is something that we do in growth trackers. And it, what's cool about it is that when you put out energy to build that relationship with that person, then you access the trust they've already created with a bunch of people. So you're not having to network one by one with all those people. You're accessing that like whole hog essentially. So that's a really cool strategy that I see people use. It's called different things, audience sharing, partnerships, collaborations, but it's the same premise. It's like someone else has built an audience that you want access to. You have an audience that they want access to. 
you figure out some way to bridge the gap there. What I think is cool about that is that it works on multiple levels. You cement a relationship with that partner. You offer value to them. And then you also get introduced to their audience. And so for me, that looks like, you know, getting direct referrals from those partners who increasingly get a sense of what I'm doing and also offering value to their audience and accessing that audience through things like webinars uh, and newsletter swaps. In my case, that's that's what I tend to be doing. Um, another thing is email marketing. I mean, email marketing still is a really important part of service-based businesses. And it's one of the things I see people leave on the table a lot is like they forget the audience they already have. They're just like, oh, we need newbies. We need new people. But it's like making sure that you're staying in touch with the people that you've already sold, (laughs) that you already built trust with um, in some way, whether you've sold them in a monetary way or they're just like on board with what you're doing. Like those people as your advocates in the world are really powerful. And so making sure people know when you're open for work, right? Oh, I'm open for January, 2024. Making sure people know that you have spots available in your community, making sure they know how they can refer people in, right? Is really key. And it's something that like, even I, you know, don't fully tap out properly. It's like, what, what is that referral path for people who know, like, and trust us to make sure they're sending folks our way, even if they're not a fit for what we're doing, maybe they know someone who is. So that's where the email list comes into play. It's like you're increasing the understanding of what you're doing. You're increasing the trust. People have more language for what you're doing through that. And then it just makes it such an easy pass. You can just be like, oh, forward this email to a friend. Boom, boom. New person joining the list, right? So email marketing is really great. Partnerships is really great. I think communities is another way that I see people. Um, in for service-based businesses, that's really huge. So If you're a web designer going to creative communities or going to small business communities, uh, I've been seeing a lot of service providers who are targeting like tech companies going to like founder communities or hacker communities, like indie hackers I've been hearing a lot about. For example, I'm in a community of design creators, which is like people who are designers who are also creators. That community is very tight knit. And so you know, you find that you build relationships in those smaller arenas and that those people have a shared interest with you and often a shared audience with you. And then you can like partner, amplify, et cetera. I love that. I like to call those uh, adjacent communities when I'm working with clients. Like if you are working with a particular tech product that, you know, most of your users are using, let's say SQL. When I was at MongoDB, they wouldn't be using SQL because MongoDB is that's a whole tangent. Anyway, but you would try to find, uh, you know, communities that are serving maybe those programming languages or uh, your typical member profile. Like, what are those people doing that they would also be interested in your product? And like you said, you know, you're you're co-creating with them, you're sponsoring events, you're showing up where they are, and proving that you're a good citizen in their community. I think is a good. Um, a good mechanism to think about. And I've had the hardest time with some of these companies of getting them to realize that you have to give first. (laughs) You have to give without expecting something immediately in return to build those relationships with people before they're going to trust that you're not just there to sponsor and get your brand logo on the, on the event banner, right? Like, you are here because you genuinely care about what's happening in this community and the things that we're struggling with. So 
you're showing up to contribute in some way to that. And so I think it's important for people when they think about doing these relationship building motions, whether it's growing their business or growing their community or a combination, you know, that you're showing up in a very human way, right? You're not showing up and being like, oh, I'm a web designer, by the way, and I am accepting new clients. Nice to meet you. And instead, you know, I I heard on a, a podcast a while back this um, metaphor that really stuck with me where communities are like a house party and it works in so many different ways. Like if you have too many channels, it's like opening up too many rooms and people get spread out too far and then they stop talking to each other. Right. But in this context, I think, you know, when you walk into somebody's house and they're having like a dinner party or something and you just start being like, hi, I sell services. Nice to meet you. Right. That's weird. Nobody wants you at their party doing that. And instead you should be, you know, oh, let me help you carry that. Oh, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living, right? Being a human. And I think a lot of people, whether they're in a a founder context, in a community manager context, in a social media manager context, they are out there talking to people on behalf of their brand instead of remembering that they are a human trying to have a relationship with other humans. So I I love those, those points. And then email marketing, God, I'm terrible at staying on top of email. Like... I have my blog and every one of my fellow community people is like, I love your blog, but I wish you'd write more often. And I'm like, yes, I am intentionally inconsistent. (laughs) (laughs) I have committed 0% to a regular cadence, but you know, I know that the value is there. And um, so, yeah, anyway, thank you. Why not send the blog out, Jamie, to your email list? No, I do. It's a matter of writing the blog regularly. Okay. Yeah. And usually I write when I am like really upset about something or I am really amped about something. And I'm like, this needs to be a blog post. People need to know. And I'll write yeah. it and then I'll send it. And then it'll be another month or two before something else comes yeah. up. So I've got to get better at that one for sure. On the flip yeah. side, you get quality over quantity that way. So... That's what I keep telling That's people. people like it. <laughs> I think this podcast is getting me much more uh, motivated to be more regular about the blog posts because then I'm like, okay, well, I should be reminding people that we're doing this regularly. Yeah. Yep. That's a thing. So <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of power in that. I've also been noticing, I subscribe to a ton of newsletters just to see what people are doing. Newsletters are getting shorter and shorter. Like it used to be that they were like, a big essay, but now like, you know, I get newsletters that are like a sentence long. Like some of them are very short, like people's attention spans are going down. Social media has changed how we consume content. And I think, you know, you don't need to necessarily have like a thesis every time you want to send the newsletter. That's a very good word for it. That is pretty much. Yes. I have a manifesto every time I write something. Um, But that's a good point. And I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I get so many newsletters now that I, I rarely actually read them. And this is another complete tangent. But um, what I've found is that a lot of them, if I don't open them, I don't even know which newsletter they're from, because people have started using names instead of the name of the publication or the name of the company. And I'm like, I don't know you, Joe Smith, like junk. (laughs) 
And then later yeah. I look at it and I'm like, oh yeah, I did sign up for that thing. Oh, whoops. So, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering, it, does that, what is your guidance on that? Like when you set up a new publication or a new newsletter, is it really important that it corresponds to the brand or, you know, are you finding people have mixed results with that? I, know um, I don't have any data on that. I do okay. notice that though, that people will, it'll be like from Brandon. It's like, who's Brandon? Um, I, I think like my, my only guidance on this would be like when you set up your like, uh, you know, email sequence for when people sign up would be that you use the same email and name display name that you want people to know and like in your inbox. Right. So if you're going to go by your name, then that's what they should be receiving is their welcome email. And then you can, you know, sort of set the stage for that there. And I wouldn't like change it up a bunch of times. Um, so like I use my name over my brand name because I think most people know my name. But you can use your brand name too. I think you would just want to make sure that that welcome sequence is coming from that brand name and it's not like switching on them. Yeah. You know, sometimes I notice I'll get company emails and they'll be sent from like different team members with, and it's like, again, like it'll be like from Salesforce or whatever. It's like, I don't know who Hillary at Salesforce is. Right. Like, so I think you have to just like tee it up and make sure people are clear on like what this thing is. The other thing, what I use in my email is like, I use my name at growth trackers or at low energy yeah. usually to help people with that. Um, yeah. I like well. that. I, I think that you nailed it though. I mean, if you're coming from a big company, you're not going to stay there forever. So maybe your name should not be synonymous with the brand, right? Like I've seen a lot of cases where it's like, Steve at whale company or whatever. And I'm like, okay, Steve. And then later I'll get like Becky from whale company. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, are you guys not talking to each other or what's happening right now? Yeah. So I think it's, uh, I think it probably works really well for your, your audience in particular, because they are in many cases synonymous with their brand. Right. And I think for you, that's true as well. I think your name is very closely aligned to all of your things that you're publishing, right? Whether it's your guides or yeah. your podcast or whatever, your name is there. Um, and so if I see Lex Roman in my inbox, I know it's from you. And I'm like, okay, this is a thing related to the things you're working on, right? Um, yeah. There was something else I was going to ask you. And now, Gigi, you have any questions for Lex? <laughs> no, I've just been running through different scenarios of, oh, I've tried that or I haven't done that with email marketing <laughs> and like various marketing roles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this has been really, really insightful. And I learn every time I listen to you talk. So thank you so much okay. for coming on today. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Gigi. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm super like excited. I mean, I think the community space, as y'all know, is like really blowing up and people are trying to capitalize on it. And so it'll be interesting to see where it heads in the next couple of years. Like, you know, how do we make sure people are having authentic experiences and not like feeling like they're a pawn in the machine? Like I think is an yeah. interesting question, especially for, you know, people that work at larger companies that are leveraging community. Yeah. And I think a lot of the community people are actually leaning more into independent contract or consulting type work where they do have to think about how do I spend my time? How do I make the most of my time um, to have an impact on my one or more clients and communities that I work with? And so in that sense, like I said, y'all go listen to Low Energy Leads because you will learn so much. And 
you know, I love Lex's brain because you, you think so much about making smart decisions. And for me, uh, scale and efficiency and all of these things are so critical coming from a community background. Like I said earlier, we, we typically have no resources. We have come from a place of forever being understaffed and under-resourced. And so that scrappiness definitely lends itself into the entrepreneur space. But I think every community builder out there could benefit from thinking about your mindset, about, you know, how do I choose the things to invest my energy into that actually have the benefits that I need? So love that. Love it. Thank you so much, Lex Roman. Uh, Go check out Growth Trackers and definitely subscribe to Low Energy Leads. Uh, Thank you, Gigi, for joining me today and and co-hosting with me. I'm Jamie Langscove, and this has been Community and...